so what we're doing for the next few weeks, let me kind of explain. Uh, as our church has moved into this moment, we've realized, like, there's some of you that weren't with us way back in the beginning, like two weeks ago. <laughs> like, we don't have much history, but we have a little bit. And so the very beginning of, of South Bend City Church, uh, for me, it begins back uh, actually late 2015, early 2016. And somewhere in there, I start telling friends about this thing that I think I'm supposed to be a part of. And the first question everybody asks is like, well, what's it going to be like, right? Like, describe this, this picture of this vision, you know? And the temptation there is to, like, move directly to, like, the, the peripheral stuff. Like, well, what's the music going to be like? Or, I don't know, like, what's the style going to be? But I really wanted to make sure that we, we, we live upstream from all that a little bit and talk about how we see the spirituality of Jesus being played out in the community. Like, how do we get our hands on that? And how do we be distinct about it? Because there's ways that we're called to be a church that are different from other ways that other churches are called to be. And not every distinction is a critique, right? So, um, so there are ways that we just are saying, here's a sort of a crystallized picture of how we're supposed to play this out. And it might be different for some other communities. And it, that's just how we understand that we're supposed to be living in this way, right? So what happens then is I start developing uh, some language around that. And really what becomes is some mantras start developing in our community. These phrases that work and help us think about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. And if you were here early, you might have heard them. If you went to an early vision meeting, you heard them. They were a big part of those conversations. But lately, you might not have heard them as much. Or maybe you've heard them without context. Or maybe you've seen us living out some of these mantras, but you didn't know that they were intentional or a part of our community. So for the next four weeks, we're going to return to those mantras. Three of them have been spoken out loud in our community from the beginning. One of them is new. Uh, in its language, but when you hear it, you'll recognize that the impulse behind it has been part of our community from the beginning. And the hope would be, first of all, that maybe you're looking to get a little more orientation on who we are as a church. This is a great time to be here for the first time if you're just checking things out. But I also hope and really believe that these could be gifts for you in your everyday life. Like, this isn't just about how a church can be a church. This is about how you can be you. And like what it means to us to discover the humanity that Jesus is demonstrating and calling us to in our day-to-day -day life, how to play that out. So that's my hope. I hope that like today in the next three weeks, you walk away with like a deeper understanding of what we're doing as a community and a, maybe just a gift for your day-to-day -day life as you try to live more in harmony with the way of Jesus in the world. So that's where we're going. Uh, I'm going to say a prayer for us and then we'll jump into today's mantra, okay? Let's pray. Loving God. Thank you for this moment, for this place and the fact that we're here together. I thank you that we've made it into a new year. I think of the way the scripture talks about new mercies meeting us, just like fresh chances, new opportunities, and I'm grateful. As we talk about uh, what we're called to be as a community, I pray that we'd sense the gift that you're giving us when you call us into the way of Jesus, that you're ennobling us that you're inviting us into healing and wholeness, that you're working to make us alive where we're dead and hopeful where we may be disappointed. And so just work on us today and in the weeks ahead. And we pray through Christ. Amen. Ever been in an environment where you're out of your depth or out of your league and you know it? And the fact that you're out of your depth or out of your league means you're actually performing worse than you would ordinarily perform because the pressure is on you and you keep tripping over yourself. Like maybe it's the day that you moved from JV to varsity. I wouldn't know anything about that, that being sports. Uh, for me, all of my experiences of this like come from music. 
Like one example that comes to mind for me is a couple of years ago, my friend Seth, who's a musician in Nashville, decides he's going to record a full-length album, and he invites me to come down and be in the band in the studio. Now, Seth and I have been playing music for years. We, we were roommates for a while here in South Bend, and we were like close like brothers, and we'd go on little road trips and play coffee shops in like the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And then one year we did this very impressive tour in Boston and New York, which just meant that we slept on friends' floors and played coffee houses in Boston and New York. So we played music for, for a long time. I know his songs inside and out, like as much as anyone in the world, sometimes more than Seth. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, it's like I know this music a lot, right? But he invites me to come down to the studio, and he's doing this right, and he's in Nashville, so he hires ringers. I'm talking like rock stars, like very, very impressive musicians. Their chops are amazing, and their track record is known. Like, I know the albums they've played on because I listen to the albums that that drummer plays on, and I've been to a concert where that person played guitar, like on this big old stage that I was very impressed by. And there's another keyboard player in the studio, too, because we're kind of splitting all the keyboard work because there's a lot of it. And the keyboard player played all the keyboards on One Republic's live album that came out like the year before this recording. So I walk in and I'm feeling like a bit like a chump, you know, like I'm just intimidated and I feel all this pressure to perform. And all these guys are there, and for the record, they were amazing and kind, but I feel all this pressure to perform and I just start tripping all over myself. Like I actually start playing worse than I usually play the piano with all this pressure that I'm putting on myself to perform. You ever been there? I thought during that experience of something that happened to me in high school in music. So in high school, I was in jazz band, which for all of you who are thinking, Jason was really cool in high school. Exactly. <laughs> so I was in jazz band playing the trumpet. And the first couple of years that I was in the jazz band, this was like the top jazz band in a big high school. Uh, the director who was leading the jazz band at that time, dude was intense. Like, like very, very intense. Anybody seen the movie Whiplash about the drummer? I'm not exaggerating when I say approaching that level of intensity without throwing things at you. Like, that would be the, the, the major difference between this teacher's demeanor in the classroom and the guy in Whiplash. Just like a drill sergeant, man. I mean, he wanted us to perform at a very high level. And we'd go to contests, like Purdue every year has this big jazz band contest, and you go in the big auditorium and you play, and judges are there. And he wanted us to perform really, really well. So he would just, like, beat it into us. He would, he, would, he would dress you down if you weren't performing. Like, if you were slipping up, the world would know about it, and it was not comfortable. Uh, one day, uh, the trumpet player who sat right next to me was also on the football team, and there was a day where there's a schedule conflict between a football commitment and a jazz band commitment, and he went with the football commitment, which did not go down well in jazz band class the next day. And for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes, he literally just reamed the one guy out, just like yelling at him, interrogating him. So you think you're better than us? Like, what's your problem? Like, you're not committed to this. How do you think we all felt when you went with the football team? And the heat coming from this director was directed at the person next to me. I could feel the collateral heat. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm near like ground zero here and it's very uncomfortable. This guy was very intense. And the thing is, again and again and again, we would go to competitions and the pressure was on to perform and we would underperform. And like, we knew we were better than that, but we somehow couldn't get there, right? And then, after a couple of years of that person leading the jazz band, one of the younger directors in the school program there took over that jazz band. Now hear me, this new director cared very much about the music. I mean, he lived for the music. He was passionate about the music, but he just had a different philosophy about how to bring it out of us. So he created like a safer space, a more nurturing space. He still challenged us. If you were slacking off, it wouldn't go unnoticed. But he created an environment that wasn't so much about perform, 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 perform. He created a, a, a space for us that was different from that. 
and things got a little better. Maybe, maybe you've had some experiences like that before. Maybe you've got uh, some bad religion in your background. And so it, it's in an environment kind of like this with a, a person on stage talking about God and opening a book called the Bible and they just put it on you like you're here to perform. Your life is a performance. You better get this right. God's watching you. He's judging you. You better get this right. And if, you, if you've had that experience in bad religion, maybe you've discovered it doesn't tend to bring out beautiful things in us. Now, for a moment, maybe you can play along, right? For a moment, maybe you, you can play that game, but it doesn't tend to bring out beautiful things in us. Or maybe it's not bad religion. Maybe it's um, sort of a broken family system that you come from, and shame was part of the operating system of your family, and so it just got put on you and put on you and put on you. You better perform for this family. Now, I think that kind of performance anxiety, it, it can just come from bad religion or shame systems in the family. I think sometimes the, the, the pressure to perform, to, to do something great, to do something good, I think sometimes that can come from an insight that, that I think is actually true. So I, I want to just work this out with you guys for a minute. So hang with me. I want to put a couple of ideas together here, and then we'll see where we go with it, okay? But I, I, I think... Somewhere inside us, we do know something that's true about ourselves. And, and when we tap into this thing that I'm going to explain in just a second here, it can lead to a kind of performance anxiety, like you better get this right. Now, the thing that I'm talking about, the thing that's true of us, it shows up in a lot of different places. It's articulated. Uh, one source I'll show you here is David Foster Wallace, the prolific writer, brilliant man uh, who died too soon. And he, he was speaking at a college graduation in 2005. And he says this peculiar thing. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, I like the list, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, the reason to choose one of those is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And there's a lot there, but the thing I want to pull out of that is, is simply this. And I think he's saying this loud and clear. Like, you and I, we are becoming something every day. Like, for better or worse, we are becoming something every day. We are growing in a certain direction every day. Uh, from a more sort of religiously conventional voice, a guy named C.S. Lewis writes it like this. He says, The dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. 
All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Like we are all of us becoming something every day, for better or for worse. Either like darkness is taking over, that disintegration that breaks us apart has a greater and greater grip on us, or we're moving toward wholeness and health and, and integration, or like a word the Bible uses for this is like holiness. We are moving in these directions. We're becoming something every day. And if you just have that in hand, like, I understand how there might be some performance pressure. Like, I get how that could kind of come out sideways and turn into, like, you better get this right because the stakes couldn't be higher. So I get how that could, on its own, in a vacuum, with no other context, it could become performance pressure. Scripture even, like, like says you could go somewhere that matters. Like, in Galatians, it's written about, like, this is a picture of what you could become. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance or, or patience, sometimes translated, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Scripture even says you could go somewhere like that. You could become these things. Uh, side note, and we'll get more into this, but one of the great promises or the claims in the Scripture is that God's actually interested in doing that with you. Like actually interested in being a part of that process with you, right? But you become something. And I want to propose that like God is more interested in what you become than how you perform. And to the extent that what you are becoming and how you are performing are aligned, great. You're becoming a greater artist. You play better music. Good. But the problem is we have all these examples where those things aren't aligned, where what you are becoming and how you are performing, they can take you on two different paths, right? Like think of how many people in our world have performed great beauty in front of us. Think, think of the artists, think of the, think of the names that go through your head. Think of how many times they are tragically revealed to have be become something broken, hurting, darkened, saddened, sickened, even as they perform great beauty for us, and then we find out about it when they die tragically, or when domestic violence breaks out of their home, or when we find out that they've been medicating themselves or something like that. Even though they perform great acts of beauty, and our headlines year after year have those faces of people who perform great beauty, but who we, who we lost. Because even as they were performing great beauty, they were becoming something uh, broken, hurting, darkened, sick, afraid, medicated, addicted. And I think it's important to say that God cares more about what you become than how you perform. Jesus uh, says this thing in Matthew 11. He says, are you tired? And I hear him talking about the performance game that has worn us out. He says, are you tired of that? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion that says perform, perform, perform. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Now watch this. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Rather, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, he's talking about a life that has a certain kind of fruit to it, but what I hear him saying is we could actually grow in that together. I could be your ally, your teacher, your advocate in becoming what is good, 
But I think to get there, you've got to take the spirit of this, which is Jesus saying, are you, are you burned out on the performance thing? Let's try a different tack. And the mantra that I want to unpack for us today is us trying to grab all that, and it's this. Simply, practices, not performances. If you've been here for a bit, you might have heard this. Practices, not performances. This is one of the mantras that began to shape our thoughts about this church from very early on. It shapes how we think about talking about God. It, it's, it's an indicator of what we read in Jesus when he says, if, if you're worn out on the performance game, you can leave that behind, and now you can come practice with me in, in a totally different kind of space. Now let's just think a little bit about the difference between practices and performances. If your life, if your faith, if your marriage, if your family, if this church is a performance game, well, first of all, then failure is fatal, right? I mean, if you are here to perform and you fail, that's it. Like, that, the game is over. Like, the thing that you were supposed to do, you didn't do, and you're done. But if, if, if this, if what we're doing together and if what God's inviting you into in your everyday life is practice, well, then failure can actually be a good sign. It can do some good things for us. So, for example, like, I learned in music, sometimes if I was failing in the practice room, what that meant was I was stretching myself, right? I was trying to literally get my hands on a bigger piece of music. I was trying to do something even more beautiful, and I would fail many times before that music found its way into my hands, right? So failure might be a sign that you are growing, stretching, that you're being invited into greater possibilities and more beauty. And then when you fail, failure is a great chance to learn something about yourself, it's a great chance to ask some questions. So you fail for a moment, you falter in your steps, and it's a great chance to just get curious about that. It wasn't a performance, so you don't have to hang your head or beat yourself up or listen to voices of shame. Set that aside, and you could say, I wonder what I could learn about myself from that moment of failure. I wonder what insight that gives me about my inner world or my personal history or my habits or my personality type or my wounds or the things I might struggle with later. Like, it's a beautiful chance to... Uh, learn something about yourself. A better communicator than me said it like this once. He said, uh, one of the challenges in modern life is uh, you're, you're comparing everybody else's highlight reel to your behind the scenes. You're comparing everybody else's performances to your practices, and that will just mess you up, right? So it's important that we say to one another as a community again and again, we say practices, not performances. Um, so let me, let me kind of talk how this plays out a little bit in a few ways for us as a community. Um, first of all, it means uh, we didn't want a room where you come to see a performance. So that's the first part of this, um, th that you're not here to, to watch a performance. This is why we always sit in the round. We've worked really hard wherever we got moved to or wherever we found ourselves, even before we had the space. Some of you might have thought that was just the best way that we could make use of the pillars. But no, that's, that's not actually the case, because if you were with us before Studebaker, you know that every venue we found ourselves in, we got as close as we could to sitting in a circle. We wanted a room that you walk into and you don't think, I'm here to watch a performance. We, we wanted a room that said something else to you about that. Now, yeah, we do have a stage. For the record, uh, Dan and I literally measured again and again, and we built the stage as low as possible so that in the back row, you're not just completely frustrated by not being able to see what's going on. But we literally measured the height, said, can we get it any lower? Can we get it any lower? Because we don't really want a room that's, that feels like it's all about the stage, right? We have great, this great designer that we're really grateful for who helped us with the lights and the sound and the TVs. But the thing is, he designs performance venues, and we had to say to him again and again and again, we want functional space, but we don't want a performance venue. And he'd be like, I get it, but you should probably have a fog machine. And we'd be like, no, Rob, <laughs> we don't want a performance space. Seriously, those are the kind of conversations that we had. We had to keep saying, no, we are not trying to build a performance venue. We're trying to build something different, a space for practice. 
So you're not here to, to see a performance. It's why, um, it's why we try to put the action back on you too, though, right? So like, we, we want to actually gather for the act of practicing in real time. Like, I don't want you to just hear me pray on stage. We want to create a space where you can pray in real time with us together, right? I don't want you to hear a good lecture on meditation. I, I, I'd like us to actually meditate a little bit together. Just, like, create that space and see what happens in the room. It's why we do the open floor on a very regular basis where we say, does anybody want to speak up, respond to their experience, push back, ask a question, relate what, what's going on with you? Because, like, we're a practice community here together. And, and if what you have to share with us isn't, man, I just nailed that. Last week when you challenged us to, like, take a Sabbath, nailed it. If, if that's not what you have to share with us, beautiful. Like, what could we learn from your failure? Because it's practice. Everybody fails. But what could we learn from that? So you're, you're not here to watch a performance. And you're not here to perform. I hope that's really liberating for you. Like, you, you don't have to walk in here and perform. But I do feel like you, I, I hope that you walk in here and you feel like this invitation that says, let's play a little bit right now. Let's not just talk about it or point to it or say, you know, later you should figure out how to pray. Like, let's play a little bit right now. Let's get into this. Let's practice and see what kind of music comes out of that, right? Um, this is why uh, we, we've talked about practices in our daily lives. You, you might have been here a little while ago. I uh, interviewed Chad Meister, and he talked to us about a pattern of prayer through your daily life. Well, that wasn't about you performing anything. That wasn't about telling you if you were really a good person, you'd find 17 times a day to pray. Like, not at all. It was an invitation to practice, right? That's why I interviewed Jessica Hughes, and we talked about Advent practices, ways that you can incorporate the season into your home, into your daily rhythms. Some of these practices are sort of rooted in the history of the church, and many people in many places over 2,000 years have done things like this. Let me show you sort of a sample list. Meditation and prayer. These might sound familiar if you've been with us, right? Fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, celebration. As I put that list up there, let's, let's keep it up for a second, and let me just observe. So I'm saying these are practices. These aren't performances. These are invitations to, to try the scales together a little bit, right? To see if we can grow in the music. And so I, I see these and I, I get excited because in this community, my experience of these things is really life-giving and promising. They're not performances, they're practices. But the problem is you might have experienced something on this list in a different environment that was a performance-based environment. So we say let's pray and your skin crawls because in your experience, prayer is about where you prove yourself. Right? We say, let's study the scripture, and you get a little anxious, because in your experience, the Bible is where you better prove that you know enough stuff in your head to prove that you're a good person or a good Christian or, or whatever, right? So you can have practices that are built into a performance environment, and then they still sort of take all that baggage on. And what we're trying desperately to do together, because we believe it's what God does through Jesus, is like we're trying to like strip all that anxiety away and just create room where we can practice together and grow together practices, not performances. It's why we, uh, we get creative sometimes, and we say you could come up with your own sort of thing, right? You could, you could um, design your day in a creative way. You could invent a practice with your children that develops gratitude in your heart that cultivates some of those things, right? Practices, not performances. It's for us as a community, but I also hope it's for you and the life that you're living. Last week, as we turned from 2017 to 2018 and we gathered in this room, uh, Dan and Ryan and the team, they led us in a couple of these sort of practices, right? So if you were here, you remember, we, we read together and we sat quietly together and we had a communion or Eucharist being offered in a couple of corners. You could get up out of your seat and go receive that with your, with your body. 
Uh, we had um, at the front corner of each uh, side of the stage, we had dirt and seeds. I actually found one on the floor during the first gathering. These little guys, these little green bean seeds. And we actually like, put our hands in the dirt and planted them as a sign of what we hope to cultivate in the year ahead and the fact that we might have to get our hands dirty and that things might begin in the dark. And I was sitting there and uh, something happened during Tuesday night. I was sitting right there. And uh, for three or four weeks in December, this thing was going on inside me, but I wasn't quite able to like, get my hands on it. You ever, you ever like, you sense something's going on? And I'm not talking about indigestion, right? But like, in your heart, in your spirit, like something's going on, but like, you can't quite, it's like stuck. It's kind of like lodged in there somewhere, and you need it to like, move before you can, can see what it really is, right? And I, I could tell something was sort of stuck. I couldn't find a word for it. I couldn't pray my way through it. I was trying to work it out, but it just wasn't coming, right? And it was here, during that time, watching other people put seeds in the dirt and, and going forward and receiving communion together with this community, that like, it finally got dislodged, and it, it was so important for me because it helped me realize that what I was working on inside was that there were a couple of ways in 2017 that I failed, just ways that I didn't live up to, to what I wanted to be and do in 2017. And somewhere inside, that failure was being leveraged into a lie, which was saying to me, and of course 2018 is going to be the same. What makes you think it'll be any different? And I hadn't, I hadn't discovered that was going on, but it was. And it was sitting here and watching dirt and seeds and people moving around. And it was the communal effort here that finally moved that for me. And I'm so grateful because that, that's part of how we become, right? That's how you grow in these things of grace and peace is, is we process those demons inside, those dark places, and we work them out together. And as that was happening, I was thinking of this friend that I met uh, back in school. So uh, my first day of class at Notre Dame for grad school in theology, and I feel like I'm a 12-year-old all over again. I'm kind of scared, you know, like I hope the other kids like me. I don't know what's going to be expected of me in the classroom. And I remember walking into the building at Notre Dame for this class with this very impressive professor, and I, I'm kind of scanning the classroom trying to map all the personalities there. And then, uh, and then after a couple of minutes, the professor has some of the students reading from the text that we're working on together. And one of these guys has this unbelievably awesome Irish accent with this really deep voice, like the James Earl Jones of Ireland. It was just awesome, you know? And then, and then I find out, sort of through the grapevine, that he's an actual monk. He's a Benedictine monk who's here for grad school, but he's an actual monk. And I'm just thinking, I would love to, like, just learn from that person. I would just love to ask him some questions about his life. But I'm like, is that creepy? Like, I don't know the, co like, the protocol here. Like, in grad school, are you allowed to walk up to the monk from the other end of the classroom and ask if you can talk to him? Like, what is that like, you know? So I'm trying to figure out my way to like kind of casually connect with my monk dude that I haven't met yet. When he comes up to me and he says, are you the Methodist megachurch pastor I've been hearing about? <laughs> and if you're unsure what that means, the church I came from was actually Methodist, although people didn't necessarily realize that. And I was like one of the pastors there, but I wasn't like the pastor. So I said something like, I, I happen to be a member of the clergy at a church in town, which is larger than most average churches in America that has a Methodist affiliation. And he's like, yes. And he said, I've got to see that place. And I was like, I'll make a deal with you. I'll show you my church if you let me buy you a pint of Guinness afterwards. And let me just ask you about your life as a monk, because I'm really curious about it. So we go to the church where I'm at, we show him around, and then we hang out and we talk for a bit. And I, I'm so intrigued, and I, I'm like asking them about like the way they pray and like the silence and all these rigorous disciplines that they have, you know. And I, at the time, I don't realize it, but what I'm seeing through my eyes is, man, this guy performs really well, right? 
This like is like a spiritual performer, you know? Like the monastery is like the varsity team. Like, man, they really get after it, you know? And I, I, he senses what I'm doing, and he, he actually like cuts me off and he interrupts me. And uh, he didn't quite use the, the language of practice and performance, but it's what he was saying. He's like, hey, I'm not a monk um, because I'm so good at praying, because I'm so good at performing in my faith. He said, I actually became a monk because I don't know how to pray without a community. I've never been able to figure it out. And I want to pray, so I joined a community. I thought of my friend Cuthbert when I was sitting here, and all month long, I, I hadn't been able to figure out how to pray, this particular prayer, this thing that was inside me, right? And it wasn't just a practice that opened it up for me. It was a practice that we were doing together. And that's really important about this. It's why it is a mantra for our community. Now, there are practices that live in the solitude. There are practices that live in your private time, in, in your solo moments, and those are profoundly important. How we steward our, our, our private lives, our private time, it has a huge impact on what we are becoming. But I want to tell you, practices are ultimately an effort of a community. It's something that we do together. We carry one another along in these currents of becoming. And there may be days when you walk in and you don't have the strength for the practice, but that's okay because we're in this together. And there may be days when you come in and you have something to offer us in the practice. We need your wisdom or your failure or your insight or your energy. And together we are practicing. Practice is not performances. It's a good mantra for your everyday life, but it's especially important for the things that we do together. And I got to tell you guys, like, I can't think of a community I'd rather practice with. And uh, what I've learned just in the last year or so of, like, doing this together as a community has been more formative for me than anything else I've ever been a part of. And I don't, I don't mean just, like, oh, in my head I got some new ideas. I, I just mean, like, just in, in the process that we are becoming, I just, I, I sense that um, even for me that, like, God is using this community. When, when we see the Spirit gives these fruit in your life, it, it's... Um, the sort of radical promise that, that the actual living presence of God is like cultivating these things. And I feel that with this community. So you might come in from time to time and we might say, hey, we're going to do something crazy today. We're going to get out of our seats or we're going to do something you didn't expect. And that's never meant to make you feel like uncomfortable or awkward. Um, but we want to practice with our bodies and with our minds and with our souls and with our voices. So that's how we wanted to end today. It, it felt sort of um, bizarre to me that we would end a whole message about how you're not here to see a performance with me just up here talking. And so I'm really grateful for Dan, whose insight it was that we would end with a song here today. And so uh, if you're able, we stand to your feet. And singing too, I, I want to call this out real briefly as we sort of wrap this up. S singing can just be a thing that churches do because churches do it, right? Or it could be this like really profound thing that like, like, physically and spiritually, like, there's something happening when our voices merge in the air together, and you get to hear somebody else's voice, and you get to offer yours to that experience, and somehow some sort of sacred space is opened up inside us when we sing together. And so I love it um, when we sing together, and it just seems like a good thing for us to practice before we go. So Dan and you guys, you want to lead us? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about sushi, not fish stew, one of my favorite mantras. Fields, not factories, and a, a new mantra for a value that's been with us from the beginning. I won't explain it right now, but it's everyone an icon. And I hope you'll join us. Uh, it's important for our community to unpack this stuff together. And really, our, our deepest hope is that these are a gift for you in who and what you're becoming.
Let's, uh, let's offer these words together uh, at the end of our time. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.